Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plug-in makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Dot, who is a vocalist, music producer, DJ, performer, educator, record label owner, and entrepreneur. Dot has produced music for countless artists and works with a diverse array of clients, such as the Oprah Winfrey Network, Nike, and even made music for a virtual reality installation for the Los Angeles Times. She also owns and operates Unspeakable Records, a record label that supports and focuses on the unsung female producers and helps them make and release their music. Dot also runs online communities and coaches producers from all over the world one-on-one and teaches people how to make music and release it in a holistic way without burning out or dealing with the struggles that so many creatives do. She also recently released the album Life Support on every streaming platform and also on vinyl. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Dot. I found you because of your kind of focus on like creative wellness, not just being a musician, but there's so much you talk about, about creative wellness and staying creative over the long term, being a part of a community. What got you into that? Because I think a lot of musicians lack that kind of idea of wellness. They just kind of say, I'm going to produce for nine hours a day and go way too far and maybe school purports that I don't know but you are kind of the opposite and I'm wondering what kind of started you on that I mean first and foremost it was really just my own I think journey as an artist and an entrepreneur and trying to balance all of these things I was very much brainwashed by the narrative that you know you have to grind 24 7 and like while they sleep, we grind and all of the, you know, all of the things. And I was told that, you know, that was more important than anything else. You know, it's your work ethic and the people who get ahead are the ones who can tolerate the most pain and discomfort and just work super, super hard. And that is what will lead to success. And that's just, it's just not true. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, there might be other people where that works for them. And, and so I'm not here to tell anyone, you know, what to do or how to live their lives. But I just found that it's, it made me spiral into so many periods of my life where I was either depressed or turning to like, just to be completely honest, like drugs and alcohol when I was in my early twenties to try to cope with that immense amount of pressure that I was putting on myself. Like there was really no one else like with a gun to my back saying that I had to do all these things. It's like, it was this completely self-imposed pressure and it was not healthy. And also I wasn't really going that far, quote unquote, with my career. I mean, I was making music that like the whole process would like frustrate me from start to finish because I was stressed and feeling like it was never enough, not good enough. You know, all of the negative voices that we might carry around, like those were like so amplified. So the process of creating sucked. The release process sucked because I wasn't happy with the result. 
and the music didn't really get picked up by a lot of people. I was frustrated because I was doing everything like DIY and I felt like everyone was out to get me and I had to like just do all this myself because I didn't trust any like agents or managers or anyone to, to help me. All that to say that mindset was really harmful for me as a person and harmful for me as, as a musician because I just wasn't wasn't making music that was fulfilling to me, regardless of whether or not anyone else liked it or was listening to it. So back in like, I think 2015 or 2016, I just sort of had this realization that this was not going to be sustainable. And if I kept going down this road, I was going to really probably end up hurting myself more so than I had already done. And I mean, my whole life, I've always considered myself to be a spiritual person and had various forms of like meditation practices and, you know, ways of connecting with God, quote unquote. I feel like that word has a lot of challenging connotations. So I use that with hesitation. But I, so I always had that, that part of myself. And I just thought like, well, is there a way that I can better connect this aspect of my life with everything else that I'm doing? Because it makes no sense to try to separate my spiritual life and beliefs from my work it's driving me crazy doing this like it's not like you know as soon as i enter the studio everything else stops and like now i'm a musician and this is how i have to be so yeah when i realized i, I wanted to kind of bridge those worlds a bit better i started actually working with this coach her name is brie seeley and she is phenomenal she works mostly with entrepreneurs, business owners. I had sort of put myself in that category. So I was like, cool, let's give this a shot. And she introduced me to a lot of teachings that completely like revolutionized the way that I was living my life. And a lot of it just was polar opposite to what I thought needed to happen in order to be successful or, or to make money. And, and sustain myself. So, you know, things like working less, taking breaks, who would have thought? Doing things that you enjoy, like prioritizing your feelings and your emotion and, and having fun and making sure your batteries are recharged. All of these things took some time for me to like really kind of fully adopt them and feel like it was safe to do so. Cause you know, I think especially in American culture, it's like, we're, we're just made to believe that if you're not working 24-7, then there's something wrong with you and it reflects poorly on your character and, and all of these things. So it, it's still something that I struggle with overcoming and kind of letting go of. But I think just from having a history of extreme overworking and having that lead to some very unhealthy habits to then going through this process that took kind of a couple of years to really fully ingrain in my routines and in beliefs and understandings, but going through that process and then seeing the difference just in, in results in my own life, because I'm, I'm so skeptical with anytime anyone wants to talk to me about law of attraction or metaphysics or self-care, any of these trending topics, you know, I'm always highly skeptical, but I think having this concrete experience and evidence to draw from in my own life is just what inspired me to then want to teach this to others and and share with people because music is so special <laughs> obviously and i don't think we should have to suffer more than 
you know, is already probably going to happen <laughs> naturally because life is hard sometimes. We don't have to add to that pain and suffering to get some sort of good result. So that's a very long, long-winded answer to your question. But yeah, just really life experience, I think, is is what led me to wherever I am now. <laughs> That's great. Like so many people need to talk more about this. And I'm glad you do. You get it out there. You talk about it with your communities. You know, you have your Sonic Soul, which I've been in twice, your kind of private cohort based thing, which I love to death. Highly recommend it for anybody. And just by you kind of being there helps other people just by even if you don't say anything, because you're living those kind of ideals as best you can. I think that helps a lot of people too, just by like, look, I'm doing fine and I'm not killing myself working evidence you're just living evidence which i love evidence. to see well that's, i feel like that's the best way anyone should really teach anyways it's it's by example i mean you can preach at people all day and all night but if you're not also living what you're talking about the message isn't going to come through it's not going to resonate because it's it's kind of a lie you know and that's why like you know i i love i love that now, even in more recent years, like self-care and wellness and sort of like life coaching is is really sort of taking over a lot of social media. And I love that influencers are also sharing these messages. I think that's all great. And you can definitely tell like who is living by what they're talking about and, and who is not. Like it just comes through, I think, in in so many ways, maybe that I can't even really articulate, but it's like, you can just look at someone's account and tell if it's authentic or fake. And so I just, I hope that like, I, yeah, all that to say, I feel like sometimes it's challenging for me to, to talk about a lot of the topics that I was teaching a number of years ago and not kind of like, I guess, poke fun at myself in the same conversation because a lot of it is so like trendy now and, I just, <laughs> it feels a little awkward sometimes, I guess, to communicate some of these things because I'm like, oh, I just sound like a cliche of so many hashtag influencers. I hope that people know like this is coming from me authentically and I live by this and I'm not just saying it because it's a trend now. I don't know. No, I think I think it does come across because it's pretty obvious when you're spending time around you, whether in your communities or just like watching you on Instagram or whatever, that's like, you can't sustain this talking about this topic if you hated it, right? Like it would just yeah. never happen. You would just never would be able <laughs> I'd to. I'd run out of things to say, yeah. Right, no. yeah. And I'm curious about like that sustainability as kind of a music producer or musician in general. So many people burn out too. So how have you kind of stayed the course? Because you've moved around a lot. You went to school in Spain. You're in Idaho. You're going back to LA soon. Like, I am. how are you keeping that sustainable with all of this other external parts? Kind of, you're moving around a bunch. You're trying out different things. You're working with different clients. How do you keep it going? Well, I think part of the sustainability for me personally comes from variety. I, I kind of like to structure a lot of my work and programs and things into like seasons, seasons of life, cycles of life. Um, because if I'm stuck in like the exact same routine for years and years and years or the exact same place, some of it kind of starts to lose its its magic for me. So it's this tricky balance of like keeping things fresh, but also not so fresh that I'm constantly like starting over every single day when I wake up and like kind of figuring out how to like restructure my life. 
so it's, I think part of, yeah, avoiding burnout is just keeping things moving. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, changing up my environment. That said, like, I was hoping to kind of make Idaho permanent home base for a while, but uh, because of a multitude of reasons now, I think I'm moving back to LA, but keeping a foothold here. My my mom has a house here in the same town, so I'm going to just be hanging out here. I think I'm visiting her and uh, still running programs out here when I can. There's one actually coming up later this summer that I'm super stoked on. But yeah, moving back to LA for a bit, I just, I think I have a few more years of work to do in the city before I can go full hermit <laughs> and <laughs> just hide out out here and not talk to anyone. Can you talk about the draw of LA? Like, I'm so curious because, you know, I went to Berkeley, you went to other Berkeley and everyone is like, oh, I'm going to LA. I'm going to LA. I'm going to LA. I'm the only one who moved to Seattle. <laughs> like, I'm the only one. <laughs> and I'm so curious from your point of view, what is that draw that brings so many musicians there? I mean, you could look at it from an industry point of view and just say, like, there's so many music studios out there. Hollywood is there. Venues, culture, a lot of really amazing underground scenes, different scenes. It's not just like one. There's like a million. <laughs> um, so there's there's a lot just, I mean, happening in terms of like sheer volume of studios, events, people, artists who are all out there. And that was established, you know, that's that's been a thing since, I guess, 40s Hollywood. I don't know, like when when that really, I should know my history a little bit better. But so I, I can't really pinpoint exactly why there's such a, this volume of music studios out there. But there are a lot of history there, obviously. But for me, like I, so when I was 17, I moved to Southern California to go to Chapman University for, for undergrad which was in Orange County. And, you know, me at 17 didn't really realize what Orange County was. So as soon as I got there, I was like, oh no, this is not, this is not the vibe. So I moved to LA shortly after and was just commuting to school because I, through some means that I never could have planned on my own, just the universe kind of guiding me, ended up interning at uh, Alpha Pup Records and going to their weekly night, Low End Theory, like every single week religiously, became super close with that whole crew and ended up playing like some of my very first shows at Low End Theory. And like, I think I played there more, definitely more than any other club, more than a dozen times. Like that was just like my home base and my family and my community for so long. And they taught me so much. Like I came in you know, wide-eyed and so new into the world. I, I lived in, you know, Olympia prior to that, Olympia, Washington, and definitely some cool scenes there, but like way smaller and different. So I don't know, having that community, then that just kind of became my home base creatively. And ever since then, I don't know, I just, I just ended up staying because that's where my people were <laughs> and you know started started doing some residencies of my own through unspeakable records and was like in the promo game for a number of years super tough super super tough in LA and New York like it's just you're in the most competitive markets in the world so that was a, a huge learning experience all that to say it's I think it's really just community that that's what the draw is for me and I'm I'm sure a lot of other people would say the same 
but you know it definitely has its challenges and difficulties as well as any major city does. I mean, when you have such a huge concentration of the population in a small space, not everyone has the same values or things that they want to see, you know, gentrification, all these different issues coming up, not to mention, obviously, police violence, all of these things. It's, it's not a necessarily an easy place to live in. But for that same reason, like, I think it's a testament to the strength of community there and just how amazing so many people are, because it's like, yeah, I will put up with those laws to to be with my people and to appreciate and contribute to so much that is happening there culturally. It's an honor to like, to be there, I think, (laughs) in some ways, I think of it that way, too. So I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. It's just, that's where it's at for me. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. So I'm like, so curious then because I feel like, I don't know if this is true, but I'm an introvert and I feel like you might be. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. So we're both very introverted. Great. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. But what you did was you went to LA, which is, as you said, a very tough city to kind of get started in as a musician or any artist or anything like that. And yet, you went, you joined the community, and you started a record label called Unspeakable Records. All of this combined with being, you know, maybe introverted, or I used to be so shy, like I would never talk to people. I was so scared of them. What was that process of like social and business growth like? Were they both at the same time? Did one need to feed the other? What did you have to do to get out of your own shell so that you could tell people like, I run this record label, I'm promoting this music? How did that work? I don't even know. I would just show up to places that, like, I would go to a lot of shows that I just want to hear the music of, and I would just show up, and I wouldn't necessarily, I I wasn't extroverted in that, like, I wouldn't go up and just start talking to people, but honestly, I think part of it is just because I'm super tall, I'm, like, six feet tall, bright had a blonde hair, uh, would usually dress kind of crazy, and I think I just would sort of stick out <laughs> in the crowd. So people would <laughs> end up just coming and talking to me. And then, you know, that, that would help me kind of get over some of that fear of approaching people or, you know, just opening up. And I don't know, people would just ask questions. So <laughs> like we're doing now, I just answer people's questions. I, don't, I didn't put a lot of thought or effort into like networking strategy I guess I should say I just I went to places that I thought like cool music was happening I and that was it and I just you know I would stand there and people would just come talk to me because I looked weird or whatever (laughs) so I don't know there is an element of you just showing up though right that's really important of just like you were physically at the places right it's very easy to stay at home like ah not today and um, I think, um, you know, people also find their ways of doing that online, you know, with, with Discord servers, with SoundCloud was a huge way of sort of networking too for a while. But I just found that like the most impactful and meaningful friendships and relationships and connections that I made all happened through these like in-person meetings, just hanging out at shows or hanging out backstage. And just being yourself. <laughs> I don't know. That that's like really what it was about, you know. And I, I think people again, people resonate with like that authenticity. You're not just another 
person in the city who's like <laughs> screaming into the like abyss of so many artists and creatives out there who are all like trying so hard to be heard and be seen. And like, I know that's a strategy that works for a lot of people, but that's just not who I am as a person. Like, it's hard for me to even promote stuff on social media or like talk about myself. I definitely like force myself to do that. So I think just being myself and like just showing up places was hopefully enough. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's just kind of, yeah, that's all I really did. <laughs> I like how simple that is. And I helped too. Like a lot of shows, like I would, especially Law and Theory, I was there like, you know, before doors open to help set up and then there at the end of the night to break down and um, wasn't getting paid for that. But, you know, did a lot of different internships over the years and, and would just help people out and would like bring friends to to shows and was kind of like being a promoter before I was officially a promoter just because I was genuinely excited about the music. And I was like, dude, you guys got to come see this artist. Like, it's going to be so much fun. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> I, don't know. I was just genuinely passionate about it. And I, I didn't care if I was getting a cut of the door. Like that wasn't even in my awareness. And then I was like, wait, you can do this as a job? Sick. Let's Let's do it. You mean I can choose the lineups? Cool, let's go. Didn't realize at the time how much work that was going to be and how insanely stressful it was going to be, but it was still fun. Right. And and you got to help, right? You got to help yeah. your community and people started to know you and kind of all fed each other in that way. And considering from the outside, if someone were to just look at you, they'd be like, oh, dot, successful music producer. Cool. Like, it's it's so easy to look at someone on the outside and say, like, it must have always been like this. <laughs> but I have a feeling it wasn't. And if I remember no. right, I feel like you used to be an opera singer. Am I wrong? Okay, so you used to be an opera singer. I imagine most opera <laughs> Not singers are professionally. Aren't... I was like, just, I was training to be one. Yeah. Yeah. Most don't get into Ableton. In fact, you're probably the only one I know who's who's the sort of person. Vic, ah, let's let's transition hard in the other direction. So it's a hard left turn. <laughs> I'm very curious what that left turn was like because so many classical musicians struggle with getting into any other field that isn't classical because it's so narrow. So how is that transition like? Were you would you consider yourself like? an early prodigy of music or you like a late bloomer where do you kind of fall on that and what was that transition like <laughs> maybe both I don't know <laughs> I would never go so far as to call myself a prodigy but I mean yeah growing up like I started training in classical piano at age I think it was like seven or eight I'm not sure I have to ask my mom but you know started studying piano and then in middle school started taking voice lessons and I had this really phenomenal voice teacher, Denise Diverso, who uh, was extremely supportive and had a, a tremendous amount of, of belief in me and my abilities and my talents. And I think re really what, what stuck out the most to me from her teaching was the importance of developing my myself as a musician and not just a vocalist. Like she wanted me to be really smart with music theory to, you know, not just be able to execute these really difficult to sing lines, but also do so with emotion and consider phrasing and all of these other things that I don't think 
you know, as like a 11 or 12 year old, you're, you're maybe not <laughs> getting that in, in voice lessons. And she, so she was really supportive, I guess, of my overall musicianship, but, um, you know, I was, I was doing like all these different vocal competitions, like at high school and doing really well and went to like Boston Conservatory one summer for a program and like was just kind of on this path to then go into classical music as a vocalist. And that was the way. And it wasn't because I necessarily chose it. It was because people were telling me like, oh, you're good at this good, keep going. And I was like, oh, okay, attention, yay, validation, give me more, give me more. So I think when I finally got to, to college undergrad at Chapman, I had a really difficult time with the program in that I just, I felt really restricted creatively. And I started to recognize that like, you know, if you want to be successful, vocalist at like the top top level you can't do anything else <laughs> like you have to give your life over to this thing and because you can never put your instrument down it's like always attached to you you kind of have to like live like a nun a little bit <laughs> and i was just like this is kind of boring you guys can we can we not please <laughs> can we go do something else uh, I, I don't know like i was passionate about so many other types of music and eventually just was like, well, maybe I'll switch to the composition program because then I can write my own stuff. I'm tired of like only performing works written by old white guys hundred years ago. Let's make some of my own music. And then eventually ended up in an intro to music technology class with Steve Nalepa, which was kind of like a pivotal moment for me because I realized that with just a computer and some headphones, I could make crazy sounds <laughs> and make anything that I wanted to. It just kind of like opened up my entire world and awareness and, and ideas of what was even possible. Because I, I had this vision in my head that like a producer was someone who works in these really expensive recording studios, like something that I could never afford. They have to go through all the, these, this like special training. I didn't know anything about that. I wasn't really interested in it because producers aren't musicians. They just want to be you know, around me, the real ones or something. <laughs> like, I was like, that, that's not the fun work. Like, that's not making music. You know, so I had this very incorrect and old school idea of what that was. And then in this class, I was like, holy crap, I can make music on my laptop and have it sound like nothing that anyone has heard before. And it might be terrible, but I don't care because I'm having a really good time. So as soon as I discovered that, like, I think it, the day that I downloaded my very first cracked version of Ableton, sorry, guys, um, I just was obsessed and I didn't do anything else. My grades started to plummet because I wasn't doing any of my schoolwork. I was just going to L.A., or living in LA at one point and then making music on a laptop and did not care about vocal anything anymore. <laughs> I still cared, like I love singing, you know, it's not that I didn't love singing, I still obviously sing, but yeah, just a huge shift in priorities. And, and that was the first moment that I felt some sort of like creative fulfillment, <laughs> I don't know. And, and I was doing something not because 
not because I wanted to get approval from anyone else and not because I wanted that like positive reaction or a pat on the back or gold star. I was doing it because uh, I was doing it for me because it felt good. And I had no expectations of where it was going to go. I didn't even know that it could really be a job. I love it. I love the details. Good. It's always a good thing. So when did you kind of know that like, oh, this is the career? Was there an internal moment, an external moment? Was there a moment or was this just this gradual thing that eventually like, oh. I think it was just a gradual thing because I was like, in the beginning, I wasn't even too concerned with it being a career. I just wanted to figure out a way to structure my life so that I could do this as much as possible. <laughs> basically. And so like some of my first jobs out of college were all just teaching. So I had this one like semester of intro to music tech, right? And then everything else was pretty much self-taught. And then all of a sudden, you know, I blink and now I'm teaching at Dubspot or, or now I'm a professor at the LA recording school with like a bunch of guys who are 20 years my senior and like all went to school for engineering and I'm just kind of like okay cool this is a great way to make money and I get to like you know go use these studios for free and um, talk about music all day it was definitely intimidating at first like I really learned a lot about music just through teaching it you know, I'd be like one or two days ahead of the students in the curriculum, like studying and making sure that I could properly communicate a lot of these techniques that either I previously had never worked with before or had a functional understanding of, but had never been in a position where I had to like articulate what was going on or like actually teach someone what a compressor does. <laughs> like that's hard to do if you've never tried to explain it before. So that was a pretty solid learning experience because I had no way out. You know, I had to learn this material well enough to be able to teach it. And I had like two days to do it. So <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, that was it. And then from there, I was like, well, teaching is cool. But, um, you know, now I'm starting to get people reaching out about actually wanting me to mix their projects or actually wanting me to produce for them. And so, oh, cool. Maybe I can charge some money for that and keep that going and and oh cool maybe i can also just start my own label like start an internet label it's actually not that hard it's hard but like you know you can read a couple books and lose a few nights sleep and figure it out like if you're really passionate about it so yeah i i just it kind of like there there was not a moment where i was like i'm gonna be a producer like this is it it was just sort of like i'm obsessed with this music making thing. How can I structure my life to do this as much as possible and not do anything else? There are definitely like a lot of other random odd jobs in there though too. Like I was, for a while I was scooping ice cream at Grand Central Market at McConnell's one summer, which is an outdoor market. It was very hot. It's very uncomfortable. My right arm got really buff from scooping ice cream. Like, so I had a million of those other jobs too, just to like make it work. I was really terrible at all of them. I was late all the time just because I, I, I don't know. I just, I was, my priorities were just elsewhere. And I was like, this is so important to me. Why would I want to trade my time for to, to do anything else? I love it. Such a good journey. So what would you say from your point of view, a good music producer is supposed to be? Mm, I think more than anything, a good 
music producer is a good listener. Depending on, I mean, there's so many different types of producers now too. So you can be a producer and never work on anyone else's projects. Your focus could be your own music, but I still think your ability to listen and when it comes to other people to hear what their strengths are, hear what they're trying to convey, even if they're not able to articulate it that clearly and really be supportive in, in bringing that out and like drawing out the best performance from them that you can. Or in the case of yourself, <laughs> listening to yourself, drawing out the best performance of yourself that you possibly can, supporting yourself in the best way that you possibly can. And it's easier said than done, but I, I've just found that like, at least all my favorite producers are exceptional listeners, even in conversations, you can tell when someone is watching you speak and thinking about what they're going to say next versus listening to what you're saying and then taking a moment to respond and react. So I, I just think, you know, the more anyone can develop their, not only their musical ears, but their listening abilities just in life, the better. You know, all of the, the technical stuff, uh, that information is, is out there everywhere. It, anyone can learn it. I don't think that there's any huge barriers as far as like talent or natural ability goes with learning a lot of that. But yeah, the important thing I think for me is just someone's ability to to hear and take what they're hearing and then present that message as clearly as possible without getting in the way too much. <laughs> without putting too much of themselves, maybe even in the, in the process in some cases. That makes sense. So as a producer, then from the business side, what, what are your income streams? You don't have to give numbers or anything like that. But I know so many producers have multiple, maybe they're working with clients, they have their own stuff that's streaming, you do courses and stuff like that. So what are your multiple kind of ways of staying entrepreneurial and afloat as a producer? Yeah, so there's always a lot. <laughs> um, I kind of have my umbrella for everything is Unspeakable Records, which was originally started as a, a record label, but over the years evolved into a production company. So, you know, revenue streams include releases of my own music, production for other artists, engineering for other artists, licensing of my own music or music that I've worked on film scoring, you know, music for commercials, TV, teaching, which I really love now because I've just had like the privilege, honestly, of, of being able to create my own programs. Drawing from my previous experience at other schools and universities, seeing what I liked, seeing what I didn't like, and then just saying like, okay, well, in the real world, I think this is the skills people need. So here's what I'm going to share. So some income from that used to be like touring and performing, DJing, whatever. So maybe that'll be a thing again pretty soon. I'm like getting booked for some stuff again. So that's, that gives me great hope. I'm like, I'm still a little bit like, I'll believe it when I really see it, like when I'm on stage again. But so income from that, I think that's pretty much everything. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that is more than I think most people would think as a music producer. You know, I think a lot of people would say like, you just make music all day, right? Like, no, there's so many logistics. There's so much to manage. There's so much to think about. 
is there any tips that you have for people who are maybe newer to the game to learn about like here's don't make sure you read this book or make sure you do this as a producer these are really key tips do you have any of those Hmm, key tips i think yeah main tips for producers no matter what kind of a producer you would consider yourself to be before you set up any sort of new project or income stream make sure that it's something that you would want to do regardless of whether or not you're getting paid if you're doing something purely for cash let that be a day job or like go get some other gig that's not you kind of working for yourself because anything that you initiate yourself it's you're not there are no guarantees you're not guaranteed that it's going to be successful and so if you just jump straight into 100 all your own endeavors cold turkey and also you maybe have some some projects in the mix that you're not passionate about it's gonna start to suck really quickly <laughs> it's like and, and people can tell if you're just doing something for money versus if you're actually passionate about it and would want to be doing that anyways so really what am i trying to say here <laughs> like i think when you're first starting out you know if you need some guaranteed sources of income let those come from other people other work you do for other companies don't put that pressure on yourself too soon to like ask your music and your creativity to support 100 of your financial life you know and kind of let it be a gradual thing because especially with like a lot of the programs that I do and with my production work, a lot of it is outside of my control. Like I can't just snap my fingers and say like, okay, here are five new clients. You know, I can definitely put in a lot of work to find those people, but there's still so much that's outside of my control. And there's going to be a, a lot of like trial and error as far as like figuring out how you work with other people, how like what marketing works for you and what doesn't so like give yourself time to have those trial and error phases like i can't even tell you you know before sonic soul and before this discord community and stuff like i've done so many other forms of courses either short form or long form i've done other types of like monthly meetups and sort of like mastermind groups all sorts of things not all of them were successful honestly not everything that i venture into works surprise surprise i know it may seem perfect to you all but <laughs> sometimes things just don't work out and that's fine you've got to give yourself that space to experiment and if you're putting 100 of your financial well-being on those early experiments that's just not very smart <laughs> and i learned that the hard way in some cases i think especially like after i got like two or three production clients i was like oh this is the way it's going to be forever now peace out uh la film and all these other schools like bye i quit i'm a real producer now here we go and it was cool for a couple months and then you know things slowed down for a second and i was like wait a second uh i thought this is what we're doing now <laughs> like you mean there are seasons to this thing and 
I can't just blink and have work show up all the time. Like what? So you gotta like ease into it. Don't uh, don't just go cold turkey and then have to go crawling back to people months later and be like, hey, so can I have uh, some work back, please? <laughs> I actually, I don't think I ever did that with the, the schools that I taught at, but there were some just moments of struggle and fear and insecurity and just like being like oh shit i don't know how we're gonna make rent this month and this is unfortunate here we go <laughs> always worked out though <laughs> but don't think i needed to put that much stress on myself i was also the same i also was like oh here we go i have one sound design game client here we go it's all fine this which is isn't it. Yeah, remotely true. I wish I had your advice when I was first starting out too, because it's true. I had heard this advice too, but I think I was just like overly confident and naive and was like, well, this, you know, look at all these clients I have. Like, there's no way this would slow down. It ebbs and flows. It ebbs and flows. It's it ebbs and flows, which is great because I would be so stressed out if I had this like never ending, like consistent stream of, of clients and work coming in. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to start to say no to things, but like you need to give yourself breathing room in between projects and stuff too. So it's good that there are ebbs and flows. You just have to plan for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. So there's a few questions to kind of wrap up before we finish off for today. I'm wondering like right now, current dot, what are you focused on learning? Or you can phrase it a different way. What are you focused on being? right now? Like, what is the main kind of focus? Mm, right now, my focus is really kind of on my own music, sort of selfishly. And I'm at a point where I'm slowly and semi-fearfully kind of ramping down a lot of the teaching work that I was doing. Still going to stay consistent and active with that. The, the formatting is just going to look different so that it can fit into my schedule a little bit easier. But, but I'm, I love connecting with other producers and artists in this way. And like, I love sharing, you know, production knowledge and life hacks and all of the things. And, and I learned so much through that process too. So that's not going to be something that I ever fully would want to step away from or let go of because I, I just, I love it so much. But trying to for maybe one of the first times in my life be a little bit more selfish around giving my own music the time and attention that i wanted to as far as not only creating it goes but marketing and getting out there and and hopefully playing some more shows and trying to like build up my own career as an artist rather than putting myself last all the time and doing so much work to support other people, you know, on Unspeakable or other people that I've worked with, produced for, coached, whatever. And I love that. I love being in a supporting role. Like I, I truly feel a lot more comfortable there than like putting myself out there in this way. And I think for a while too, I just sort of had this belief that, you know, it's, the industry is hyper, hyper competitive. There are only so many spots available in like different areas of commercial music that I would want to be in. And because of that, it's so unrealistic to like 
dream of having an artist career. So like, let's just not like, I'll just make music for fun. I'll do my own stuff for fun. And then focus my resources and my energy on building a production company and a label because that's more responsible. <laughs> and, you know, that's the adult thing to do. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think I'm going to regret it if I don't also give my own music the time and attention that I would otherwise give to other people and just kind of see what happens. And, and for the first time too, I have like a team in place. I am so thrilled to be working with Hunter and Adam and Benito at Alt Vision. They're like an amazing management company and record label. And so they just jumped on board with me a couple of months ago. And then recently also I'm just signing to a Wasserman agency, which is a phenomenal booking agency. I am so excited to like have the support in place, which I've just never really had before on this level. I'm so used to like DIY everything. So I think because of that, because now there's more people involved and invested in the music, I'm like, not only do I owe it myself to like really give this 100%, but I owe it to these guys who, you know, are also passionate about the music. And I'm so grateful uh, for their their support and their belief in me. And so, yeah, just, just focusing, I guess, on my own career and my own work. And it's very terrifying to say this, <laughs> um, but... I mean, after so many years of just figuring things out solo and always taking care of every little thing myself, like I'm curious, I'm excited to see kind of where this goes. I love it. I love it. And this, you may have already kind of semi-answered this, but the kind of second to last wrap-up question, when you're first starting out in music and you could define that starting point as anything you want, it could be when you started piano, it could be when you went to Chapman, could be when you said screw this to opera like it could have been any of those starting points how did you kind of define success and how has that changed over time and how do you define it now mm, yeah i think getting started we'll say starting out from the point of me when i was an intern and like already starting to make uh, music on ableton versus classical life so post-classical <laughs> I think uh, I define success as the size of the community around you, the number of people that, you know, were excited about your music and would go to your shows. <laughs> and I think it was like that, but also that was only cool if you also made music that was authentic to who you are. So anything that was too mainstream, I was like, I mean, that's cool or whatever, but I don't have as much like respect for that, quote unquote, because it's so accessible, like accessible was a dirty word to me or something. Um, and now I think my perspective on that has since changed. I think to be successful, the only thing that matters is how you feel about your own work. And it's not so much defined by your number of followers or number of streams or anything like that because i i have you know gone through release processes where i had a little bit of traction with the release but i just did not enjoy the music at all and 
that felt pretty horrible <laughs> to to have put so much work into something and then just not be happy with the result and like disappointed <laughs> on so many levels, mostly disappointed in myself versus now, like I, I feel like really good about the music that's coming out that I'm working on and anyone else's reaction to it just isn't going to change that, you know, like that's secondary. And so, you know, I, I don't have to believe the good things people say about me. I don't have to believe the bad things people say about me. It's like, I, I know who I am and well, I sort of know who I am. It's constantly changing, but you know, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm working on. And if I can do that and, and keep food on the table and bills paid, like I, feel so just extremely blessed to 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 be able to do that like i'm just i'm so grateful so i think that's yeah that's how i would define success is like how do you feel about your own work <laughs> like do you feel good about it or not any anyone else's opinions anything else that comes from that is is secondary and it's funny too that like you know the music that i've worked on that i feel better about like surprisingly enough is actually what gets more traction it seems on spotify and these other platforms versus some past releases that i was working on in order to try to fit in with some sort of scene or fit in with some sort of playlist or write something with the main purpose of of you know having it be licensed to something whenever i was like giving that power to external forces the music kind of sucked <laughs> and it wasn't fun to work on so i don't know that's again <laughs> like a sort of vague answer to your question it. um yeah i just define success by how you feel about yourself at the end of the day it's awesome it suits your holistic mentality about all of this i hope so yeah, <laughs> it's good so where can people find you what discords latest albums life support all of that stuff where can people find you yeah so everything uh, is pretty much on instagram uh my handle is dot music the, the u of music is a v so it's d-o-t-m-v-s-i-c same one on twitter you can also find more information on like unspeakable records and all of our offerings uh at unspeakable-records.com or at unspeakable rex or acs on the various platforms yeah and then there's you know links to everything else from there so come hang out you know producer challenge is coming up soon there's going to be a lot more stuff happening on discord this summer that i've got planned that i'm very excited about i just i love you know engaging with people on these platforms and not just sharing highlight reels so you know if you find me drop me a line say what up let's get a conversation going that's that's where I'm at. I love it. I love it. Thank you so, 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 so much for taking the time and jumping on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I love talking about music. So thank you for letting me ramble for an hour. <laughs> no so rambling was done. This was great. <laughs> That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly 
forward slash sound biz pod sound b-i-z pod and that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects they'll get you set up and will teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound thanks so much and i'll see you next time <laughs>